Business class listeners, you're tuned in to Wisco Weekly. This is such a sick beat here. This is Will You Dance With Me by Lelania. You can find Lelania on Spotify. Business class listeners, you're tuned into another episode of Wisco Weekly. Hello, welcome to another week. And we're getting close to this very big date of September 14th. In the home state, in my home state of California, that is the day of announcing the results of the governor recall election. Last week, I had on Mr. Orrin Heatley, who is the lead proponent and the lead executive of the Recall Newsom campaign. He was, he is the one that is the visionary in charge of getting the recall to where it's currently at. By all the latest polls right now, it seems as if that there's a slight edge given to the fact that voters will be voting yes on the recall. Now, just because you vote yes, you still have to then now vote on the second question, which is who would replace Newsom as candidate or as new governor. On this episode, I had the chance to feature another gentleman as part of the lead team of the Recall Newsom campaign, Mr. Mike Netter. Mike and I get into a lot of things about the California business economy. And there was a few points in here that it became really interesting to hear his thoughts, one of which was... If you simply replace one governor from one party with another governor of the competitive party, what actually changes in our home state of California? So he elaborates more on that, and he spits out a lot of different data and statistics with regards to the amount of Democratic versus Republican voters versus non-party preference voters and also the the poverty line in California and how, as defined by the Public Policy Institute, that sits at 65,000, that being that is the first threshold of poverty in California, which, to be honest, that is, I think, quite high. There's different levels of poverty. That is now something that, to be honest, I'm, you know, this is something very new to me. In the state of California, there are essentially, actually not even the state of California, in the United States, there are essentially four levels of poverty. There are three levels as defined by HUD, the Housing Urban Development Program. And in California, the first threshold, which is the highest threshold, the poverty line is 65,000. The federal poverty line is still somewhere between, you know, it's right under 13,000. So that was interesting to learn from Mike that the poverty line in California is 65,000, that level one threshold. I dug into that a little bit more myself. And so I learned that there are essentially three different levels of HUD um, poverty lines, and then you have the federal poverty line. Anyhow, what was interesting was that he had asked me something during this podcast, and it's something I've been thinking about a lot. And he asked me, you know, essentially, well, why it is, why is it that you are doing this podcast? And, you know, I didn't have an answer at that time. 
and you know the time was a fleeting moment also but now as i've had the chance to really think about it in 2021 as i continue to do this podcast and as as you listeners have stuck with me and there's more listeners that are coming on and this is all great but the real the number one reason now that this podcast means so much to me and the reason why i continue to do it is there is a fact about life that I may not be having a child. I know this is kind of a, a turn to get this personal with you. But the reality is, is that there could be a chance that I may not have a child. But I certainly have a lot of experience and wisdom to pass on. I have a great set of guests that are always willing to engage with me in a discussion. And I think as I think about what could I pass on to my child, it would be that of entrepreneurial advice, entrepreneurial advice. My father was an immigrant and he came here following the first couple pillars of classical economics, that being to save and invest. I feel that it's incumbent upon me now to continue the second pillar of investing and now also get into that third pillar of being entrepreneurial. And so a lot of these episodes that I have with guests, I even though we may talk politics, it's really all about what are the different angles that listeners, that you listeners can take away from so that you can be entrepreneurial in your endeavors, in your life, so you can help out your family, your community, yourself. So thank you as always for listening to Wisco Weekly. If you're not already a paid subscriber on Apple Podcast, where you can get more in-depth episodes, bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, one of the episodes I'll be launching later this week will be how myself and the rest of the team at UC Irvine, how we created a tradition called the Ripameters hand sign and essentially how we did that from a grassroots marketing level. So that'll be coming out later this week. Now let's get into this episode with Mr. Mike Netter. You are now tuned in to the Wisco Weekly Experience. Mabuhai, bienvenidos, vitaita, willkommen, and welcome to Wisco Weekly Business Class listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the show. And following up on last week's episode, I have here today another special guest from the Recall Newsom campaign. And my guest today, much like last week, we're going to, this one might be a little bit different. In the last episode, listeners, I tried to avoid politics and just and we discussed primarily the business of political recalls. In this particular episode, my guest and I, we're going to get into a little bit more of the California business, I guess politics. We are going to get into the politics of the California business economy because that is something that is absolutely pivotal in this 2021 year and in moving forward. I have a I you've heard me talk about this before, but I think one of the most heinous acts that ever occurred uh, as a result of the pandemic was the delineation between essential and non-essential businesses and the resulting lockdowns that occurred. So on the show today, business class listeners, we have Mike Netter, who is one of the other lead proponents of the Recall Newsom campaign. Mr. Netter, how are you? Welcome to the show, sir. 
I'm doing fantastic. Gavin's still my governor, but I'm very happy to be here today, Dennis. How do you really like, you know, t- today, right now, at this moment, how do you feel about Gavin Newsom being your governor? Not that good. But before I even get there in the theme of your show, let me start, if you will, with a little bit of my background. Okay. Certainly. So I've only been in politics about a year and a half. And most of my life I've spent in business, starting with small companies, growing into an executive at a company that was known as Corporate Express. I was 3.5 guys, I like to say, up a food chain, dealing with inventory, dealing with enterprise sales of computers. And left there after 30 years, that company turned to the business arm of what you know today is Staples and did business consulting for about five to seven years. Okay. So as you move along in life, right, and you gain all this business experience about marketing, inventory, and the costs of things that affect the cost of goods, um, you don't really realize how much that the political landscape affects those things. And the reality is when I got involved about a year and a half ago, I just kind of had enough. And when I got involved in that, um, kind of circling back to this conversation that we're having today. What was the turning point for you, Mike, that kind of made you flip the switch and say, you know what, the political environment in California and what I do in my business greatly affects you know, my performance, it, it, it affects my job, it affects my income. Was there any point in your career that was a turning point for you? Camila Harris. Kamala Harris, okay. Sounds funny. Kamala Harris or Camila, okay. however you say her name. Yeah, right. I still don't like her, right? <laughs> the reality was this, California has traditionally, and I, I look, I've been around the country and around the world and international and other business ventures. The reality is that California continuously is passing things that don't hold up to legal muster, that add to the cost of business, that interfere with private enterprise, right? And these layers keep piling on. What really started me out, Camila, Kamala, who really cares in the day, tomato, the motto, she still don't work for me, is the reality struck me that these things have been going on a while, kind of a narrow narrative for a really long time. And as soon as this person been our attorney general, and that's really important to note, and I'll get back to that in a second, got elected senator, she's campaigning for president, meaning that the California politicians care less and less about California, the business climate of California, because they're they're just using California as a stepping stone. Okay. Also, many things that are like, for example, Look like you have a question, but many things which are passed, for example, the California passing the legislation, which they could do because they have a supermajority on one side of the aisle, where women, they have to have women serving on boards of large companies. And that's been going to be struck down in court, but it takes three or four years to do. It's not that anybody is against women on boards, but it's wrong for government to overregulate private enterprise. It not only adds expense to it, but what in addition, what it does, it's getting governmental interference with private companies. And in California, as I started to say, two key points out of that, very important points for your listeners. Key point number one is... Um, 
it really is the attorney general's job. It was Camila Harris's job to defend the people and private enterprise in court when the legislature, who's unopposed, passes something bad. That wasn't done by her. It wasn't done by Xavier Bracera, who immediately went on to run Health and Human Services after not watching over the EDD, and we'll get back to that. It's also important to note that many hidden layers of expense that the public isn't cognizant of continually get layered on California businesses. And things like Proposition 64, which you're not that familiar with probably. I know, what what is Proposition 64? Proposition 64 is basically a California law that was passed about three years ago that said for any product sold in California, that contains any components that may cause cancer. Now understand what that means, that when this plastic is boiled, if I was to take this bottle, drop it in a vat of boiling boiling water at at the flashpoint and sniff it, it may give off cancer-causing ingredients. If I take my cell phone, bust it open, and eat the boards inside, which many Californians may get to that point, but let's put that down socially, right? that could cause cancer, meaning that's the most outrageous thing. Those warnings have to be posted. You see them on 7-Eleven stores here today. But that also means when you distribute products like this calculator that I'm holding, that a Proposition 64 has to be on every product that's sold in California. Its warnings run luck. Now, the problem is for most distributors is that they can't make two labels two boxes, one for California and one for the other 49 states. So it actually caused all the distributors throughout the United States who just wanted to distribute products in California to redo all their packaging. It actually added a layer for the entire United States over a warning, which frankly isn't needed. It was something that the legislature passed to look cool. I mean, California has always been the state that's always going to side with workers' rights. It's always going to side for employee rights. And I mean, again, Mike, you're much older than I am, but, you know, at the age of 42, this is always for bringing that up. (laughs) Well, you know, I I, got to somehow credit myself somehow in in this uh, recording here, you know, so I have some sort of credentials. But, you know, since I've been alive, California has always been for workers' rights and, again, always kind of more for the plebs, if you will. I don't recall ever a California that was ever going to be so, you know, pro-business. Obviously, the business climate as of probably the last 10, 15 years has been pretty bad, especially over the last couple of years with a lot of big businesses leaving. You know, it was one thing when you had small businesses in, and individuals migrating out of, California, out of California. Now you're seeing big businesses migrate. Well, let me address a couple points there, okay? Um, anytime one party or one side, I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat, see Julius Caesar Genghis Khan gets power for too long, unmet, unequivocal, unquestioned power, it ends badly. That's what's happened with the Democrats in California with a supermajority in the legislature. Now, The reason that's important to note is workers' rights really aren't backed up in California. It's a great talking point, but let's talk about a couple things here. 
And the reason I'm jumping on over that is because, as you pointed out, thank you for bringing it up. There's a vast age difference between us. Well, right? I didn't say vast. You added the modifier. I will, I will add vast. And I'm happy to say that because remember, the name of the game is to live as long as you can. And at close 65, I'm beating the bastards that are 63. So let's be clear here. Okay. <laughs> now, the reality is this, that way back when, even when you were born, that um, big businesses like Amazon, Walmart, and even certain banks didn't exist, okay? So as we deregulate and big businesses get bigger and bigger, that's what's kind of put across as workers' rights. But let's be really clear on something. Even in the pandemic that just got shut down, 80, 90% of all employment just by definition will fall to small businesses. And that's a real important point to make because big businesses build economy of scale. One buyer, one clerk can do bigger aisles, right? In small business, five workers can only do so much with the revenue that they have. That's kind of by definition. So small businesses or workers' rights are always really defined by small businesses. They always will employ the majority of people. So when we talk even things about minimum wage, and I'll get to that in one second, all right, it's important to note that if you don't defend small businesses, to your point, certain big businesses can move out of California, Hewlett Packard, Toyota, Oracle, Tesla, and they will move jobs with them. But in addition to moving jobs with them, they do affect this ecosphere of small businesses that are around those plants. Now, I'm going to take it a couple steps deeper, but go ahead. Well, so, I, I, you know, you actually, you bring up a very excellent point in this kind of fundamental narrative that whatever big business does affects small business. And ultimately, it's going to be government that will always try to, quote unquote, fight the powers of big corporations. And so, therefore, those corporations are always going to have, a, you know, that kind of power and influence over small it, business. It used to be that way. What's happened today, and the reason I'm shaking my head no, which people can't see on audio, is it used to be that way. The problem today in politics, especially with Gavin Newsom, back to our main show, is that Gavin Newsom, for example, gets big political money to get big political power from big companies. And so understanding just by definition, if you look at the recall, which is on the ballot now, for example, the two biggest contributors to the recall are Netflix, $3, billion, $3 million from Hastings, the CEO, and Fuji Water, which is a huge water company, okay, contributing $500,000. So big business is buying big politics. Big insurance companies like Blue Shield, Blue Cross are getting big contracts based on the emergency powers of Gavin Newsom. And we think we know about those contracts. That are And by the way, those happen to be Gavin's biggest donors. But what you don't think about of the 110 no-bid contracts he's awarded, many could be awarded to small businesses, but they don't, there's no general procurement process. There's nothing protecting small businesses. What you're talking about is the narrative 
that we'd like people would like to believe from the left. The truth of the matter is big businesses and big unions are protected because they offer big money in politics and they hurt the small businesses. Let me ask you a simple question as we dive deeper into the conversation. All right. Please, please. Is there a reason that COVID, the COVID virus did not shop at Walmart or Target? What? Let me be clear on that. And you're, I know you're giving me that look like, what's this man talking about? I, well, I understand where you're going with this. Okay. So how come the big boxes were allowed to stay open? Yet the same small stores where you would think the, the possibility of mathematical possibility of transmission less was less were closed down. It virtually even selling the same goods. It makes no sense. Well, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And this is kind of the same case like with, you know, for instance, I remember I read the story kind of like in the last summer where you had a contractor in which most contractors were deemed a non-essential business. So they were essentially closed last summer, except if you were a contractor that had a government contract. And so therefore, then you were deemed an essential business now. And so that, you know, so that kind of delineation, though, I don't know if that necessarily has anything to do with Newsom per se, as it does. No, no, no. no. It's got a lot to do with Newsom. I'm going to stop you for one second, because what you see with emergency powers and let me dive in because I got a lot of material here for you. Okay. And I want to kind of go over it so you understand that emergency powers of what you see the governor doing, also what the governor is not doing. So let's dive into some things that really hurt the everyday worker in California. Okay. For starters, Gavin Newsom signed the infamous AB5, which was the fifth assembly bill of 2020. That's what AB5 means. There's a new AB5 this year. Okay, which banned basically independent contracting in California. Now, what does that really mean? What that really means is, well, it's the Uber drivers. No, no, no. It meant that musicians, reporters, that if I own a small business like a bar or a restaurant and want a musician to play for the night, they can't because they're a contractor and that I have to hire them on my payroll. That means that money goes in a workman's comp, which goes to the big insurance company, which goes to the state compensation fund. That is a limiting of free trade. It doesn't protect the worker. It doesn't let a worker keep remote jobs. A badly thought out bill that shouldn't have been signed. But wait, there's more. Okay. In addition to what it does is this. Is it also then when these workers who are temporary workers by definition, and they're happy being contractors, let's say, go on unemployment and unemployment goes up because you shut all these businesses down. The big company has benefits. The small companies can't afford to. I'm going to give you a lot of data in a short period of time. What that also ran up in California is a $25 billion bill this last year alone, that we owe EDD, the federal EDD, the federal unemployment, that 25 billion. And by the way, yes, there was probably close to that much money scammed because Newsom wasn't watching the store. 
So it's Newsom's watch. He wasn't watching the store, but let's put the money that was stolen from the EDD aside. And people go, wow, it was prisoners. It's federal money. The state owes that money. Now, do you know how this, do you know, Dennis, how the state pays that money back? How the how the state pays essentially the twenty five the twenty five billion they owe the federal government. Do you know how they pay that back? I mean, the only two ways really are going to be through taxes. Well, the ultimate way is going to be through taxes, and then that could be through individual income taxes, through excise taxes, no, or through a bond. Nope. No, you're saying no, nope, nope, nope. It actually goes on the unemployment tax that the worker pays. So that twenty five billion. Go when you see money out of your paycheck for unemployment, that sure. 25 billion, which by the way, the state of California is gonna have to start paying four percent interest on next year, actually comes out of a worker's paycheck. Okay. Right. And and small businesses, all businesses have to pay for another. Now that's really important to note because Gavin Newsom made a choice. With this $72 billion alleged surplus, so we don't have the time to go back today, to not pay that $25 billion. That means that worker, wow, we've upped the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Yeah, but the worker's going to net less because they're going to be paying back the unemployment money, which was scammed, just owed by California to the federal government. Do you understand that? So that $25 billion isn't an income tax. It's paid directly by working people, directly by the working class. Back to you, Dennis. Now, I guess, so th- everything that you talk about, Mike, is almost like what has been programmed in my head on how the California business economy works. And I'm not trying to say that that's a good thing or that's the right way to do things. But so then my question to you is, what would change by having someone like Newsom out of office? And, and well, again, couple, OK, go ahead. Please go ahead. What would change is this. If we had a governor that wasn't beholding a liberal interest and had some guts, for example, they would take and pay instead of doing recall rebates. And I don't even, I don't want to go and even the legal immigration part because we still have two and a half million undocumented workers in the state. And it's not a matter of people versus the undocumented workers. The point is you can't flood a state with cheap labor, right? That isn't subject to minimum wage, which is still going to need to make a living up the workers minimum wage, not pay off. You could immediately with Gavin out of office, pay off the 25 billion. He's got a $72 billion surplus this year. I mean, isn't that the choice of the next governor? And, you know, I I think it's always that's my point. Gavin should make that. That is that's why we need a new governor. Well, I I guess I I guess one of the things I will always come back to in in a discussion like this, where it's like, well, we need a new we need a new change of leadership to fix the economy, to pay off debts. And essentially, we need to replace a Democrat with a Republican. And in my eyes, at some point, you're just going to replace a sure you might replace one party with the next. But what makes you think that the next party is going to affect the change that you want? What makes you think that the uh, unemployment fund is going to be paid off? What makes you think that the teachers pensions funds and the big unions are going to be fought? Because here's the thing. 
the, the movement of recallgavin2020.com is a grassroots movement by the people. And you said something that's absolutely correct. This isn't about the Republican Party. They suck. This isn't about the Democratic Party. They suck. Let's break down into what California is politically before I get to more about the business climate, which you really need to understand, which is something at your tender age of how old? 42, 42, sir. 42, okay. You may not remember that scares people because you haven't been subject to it, but I'll get there in a second. The most frightening thing that's happening in America right now economically, that's happening under the theory of liberal rule, but the Democratic Party and the Republican Party both suck. There's 9 million Republicans, I mean, 9 million Democrats in California, 5.5 million Republicans, and 6.5 million MPPs. No party preference. You know that. It's the largest block of voters, second only to the Democrats. The reality is a couple things are going to change. You see this? Yes. Recall itself was the largest initiative, you know that, in American history and the largest volunteer effort in American history. And what we did for 50 cents a signature, let's expand that quickly. We've returned power to the people. Well, what's getting a new governor going to do about it? Let me explain deeper. A recall is an initiative. It's all that it is under the term you know as direct democracy. Initiatives to recall a state official are 12% of the people that voted for governor last time. Everybody out there nod their head yes. To do a California constitutional amendment, it's 8% or 998,000 this week of the people that voted for governor last time. To do a new law is only 663 signatures or 5% of the people that voted for governor last time. Roll with me, I'm giving you a lot of data. Traditionally, what's happened is big entities, the big tobacco companies, the big markets, the big unions, the big party have initiatives on the ballot because we were told when we did the recall, it will cost a minimum you morons, speaking to Moran and myself, of $5 a signature. So to get 2 million signatures, you idiots need $10 million. They forgot the people. We got this done for $910,000. What that means going forward is the people of California under direct democracy have the ability to everything I just talked about, we can do legislation for it. Now, Before I allow you to speak, even though it's your show, (laughs) roll with me. California, when you say, well, let me explain something. The last four by ballot measures, and the Republicans have put none on the ballot, so let's be real, they've all been Democratic. More taxes, more this, more that, whatever, have been defeated handily. Defeated handily by the people of California. So they've beaten down the liberal, I'm going to call it the liberal idea of what we used to call it. We still do tax and spend. Tax more, spend more. Tax more, spend more. And I'm going to explain why that's very dangerous, everything I was talking about. So I don't need the politicians, and you don't either. We could put our own initiatives and write our own laws with a few lawyers very inexpensively if we would let us change politics the way that we know it. That's what the recall is all about. It's about leading the people of California to taking charge of a fate which the politicians won't do for us. Getting a new governor is just the first step 
And getting a new governor sends the biggest fear into politicians, which is losing their job and power. That's all of it they care about. I don't give a damn what side it is. Now, go ahead. You're so, going to say so, something. So you, you, do, you do bring up a clear demarcation of kind of the steps that are taking in order to take back the California economy, one being recalling the governor and the powers that the governor has, all the policies and the influence that the governor has. But I guess let's get to the second step then, because I know you're mentioning all these numbers of how many people, you know, has are are have signed up to recall the governor and and, and the cost that uh, of 50 cents per, uh, you know, per signature. So, so there is a grassroots movement, but what what does that translate to then after presumably the governor's recall? How do you, how do the California citizens take their economy back? Well, the way they take their economy back is for starting to get some make sense initiatives on the ballot. Okay, and those initiatives are one. How about some water bonds? The reality is that. In case you haven't noticed, we have a water shortage and people always want to argue about climate change. I don't really give a damn what costs climate change. We don't have enough water. Okay, let me let me let me let me play. Let me play the antagonist here. You're talking about a water bond. I see tax and spend again. No, it's different in a bond versus a tax. And by and let me let me let me slow you down. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because. I don't disagree with that. We need to look. Let me let me take a step back. The basic job of government. When I started off this podcast saying government's getting into the boardroom, you must have X amount of women. We have to separate the boy. We can't separate the boys and the girls toys in a store. Yeah, that's high on my friggin' list. That's not government's job. Government's basic job is to provide infrastructure, roads, water, electricity, keep my house from burning down, police protection, right? In California, government has failed at that. So it's not a matter of tax and spend. It's a matter of what we spend our taxes on. We're not spending our, look, we, we signed up for a gas tax, which is ridiculous. How are those freeways on 91 working out for you? Full of bumps and lumps, okay? How Now, I realize right now, I, you're not in the United States. We're subject to brownouts right now because we haven't addressed from the Gray Davis days the problems we have with the grid. We haven't asked the power companies to bury their utility lines which would cost about 10 billion, which by the way, is about the cost of what we're spending on the bullet train to nowhere, actually a third of the cost. So it's not tax and spend, it's we need to demand that the government spend the money to do its job properly. And when they get something like a federal surplus, they do it to avoid the problem why government hasn't caught up with infrastructure. And it's very one, it's one word, a word that would scared me when I was a young lad and I was, I was young once, believe it or not. Okay. And that word, are you ready? It's inflation. It's inflation. Okay. You didn't grow up most people with inflation. Um, Nixon, back in the Nixon years, you know, I'm not a crook. Well, maybe he was, but that wasn't his problem, right? 
Here's the problem. Typical inflation, historically in economics, has been solved by high unemployment. So the Fed balances out and says, look, we're going to, you know, we need higher unemployment to keep the inflation rate from going up. Because if you can make a worker 50 bucks an hour. And if a McDonald's hamburger costs 32 bucks, you haven't really done much except made the poor people poor. Let me ramble for one second because you need to understand what's happening to the California economy. All right. So it's not that people are making more. It's what's happening is that their dollars increasingly buy less. The fact that gas costs so much more in California affects everybody. Well, we're going to eliminate the gas-powered car. No, you're not. And if you do by 2035, what the hell does that do? We're going to add a surcharge right now to electricity because we don't have enough of it of $2 per kilowatt hour. Now, this is what the U.S. Census just showed and the Public Policy Institute just backed up and doubled down on. We are the largest state in the union. You know that, right? Yes. With 40 million people, 17.6% per the U.S. Census of our population lives in poverty. But wait, there's more. The Public Policy Institute says, well, the poverty line is actually 65,000 a year in California. And if you add the people living within X percent of it, 33% of 40 million people live at or near the edge of poverty in California. Because we have a government, it's not just businesses leaving as you started this conversation. It's the fact that businesses can't afford to operate here because no matter what they do, their workers can't get ahead. The workers don't have buying power rights. A myopic view is I'm just going to up the wage. Well, upping the wage has a problem when you up it for the person at the bottom and obviously ups for the person at the top. But more importantly, it what happens throughout in shortage of materials, not having a plan for getting rid of petroleum based products. We're just going to eliminate them. Really, what are you going to replace them? No, I don't know. We'll figure something out. How about we ban straws? That's high on the list because a whale choked on it last year. No one's against that. How about we we're going to run out of water? What should we do? Well, we'll drink Gatorade. We'll drink Fuji bottled water because they gave it to Newsom. The problem becomes that the general commodities of life, like kilowatt hours, water, and gas, become more expensive, along with housing, and they up the inflation rate. So people can't afford not only to operate a business in California, they can't afford to operate at all. And these are facts you can look up. And by the way, when you talk about how is it going to change if we get a new governor, may I give you another fact? Please. Well, I was really wasn't for permission, but I'm trying to be polite. I'm working on my politeness. Hopefully, I'm in politeness rehab. Just so you know. you're in you're in agro polite mode, which I'm digging, Mike. Let's be honest. I love the agro politeness. Go with it, though. I'm with you. I'm following you. Okay. So, U.S. News and World Report puts a ranking out of each state versus other states every year, okay? And as usual, our school's right near the bottom. And as usual, our economy ranks 27th, 28th, 29th. Here's a couple key facts. They do a ranking called natural environment. Now, 
Natural environment doesn't mean, well, how's the air today? It means natural environment, how the quality of our air, along with social environment, how we feel about our state. Okay. How do you feel about living in California? Why are you doing this podcast to begin with? Here's the really scary one. And by the way, this isn't manipulating figures. You can look it up whether you like it or not. 2019, Gavin Newsom took office, January. Today is 2021. Our state and how people feel about and operate in the state has dropped from number five to number 35. Now, oh, it's because of COVID. No, because it's all the states have had COVID. So that's a nullifying factor. The way people feel about the state and the ability to get ahead, which they express as high taxation, gas at the pump, because they don't look at the underlying factors. That's not their mission. They just know that they see the gas price go up. But the fact that a restaurant for the little takeout styrofoam boxes, for those of you in audio, I'm using calculators, a prop. Okay. A calculator? That's not as a prompt. What, what, what the yeah. hell is a calculator as a standalone? Well, it's got big numbers. When you get to be my age, you might as well be showing us like a cassette tape right now. Mike. Well, I would show you my abacus, but that would really date me. Okay. And contrary to popular opinion, the first recall of a governor in the United States was in 1924, and I was not there. Um, but let's, let, let me be perfectly clear. All right. So here's my point. So you look at wages, but you don't look at supply chain. So the cost of takeout styrofoam boxes had risen from $25 per hundred to $100 per hundred in just the last three months. The cost of electricity again has gone up. The cost of water goes up. It's all about supply and demand. You know, and you've read what's happening to the cost of lumber. Right. Oh, yeah, that 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 one actually hit me personally because I do enjoy woodworking. And so at some point, I actually I remember I started building stuff at the start of COVID and I was buying some eight foot two by fours, which were probably a buck 80 cents. And the latest I, I as a matter of fact, I went back to the lumber store after there was word that the prices were going to drop, although there's still a delay in that. But the last time I was there was probably beginning of June. And I think a one eight foot two by four was closer to about four or $5. And I was like, Jesus, this is. Okay. So let's, let's think about something when you talk about the cost of housing. So, and I'm ballparking this, but roll with me. Let's say I want to build a, a house. I want to sell for 500 Let's be real. A house I want to sell for 500000 then I'm going to build for 400000 25% being the cost of materials. So a hundred grand of that just went up about 40%. But wait, there's more. Now you would say, what can a new governor do about that? Let's leave that alone for a second. The problem is that they want all new housing today, which is about 40% of the cost of the house, to be built by the, the trade unions, which represent 450,000 people out of a state of 40 million, everything to be at trade unions prevailing rate. With AB5, they have to be employees. So my 40% labor of the cost of building a home just went up another 30%. So all of a sudden, that $400,000 to build home just became $600,000, which means I have to sell it for seven hundred. dollars So it doesn't make sense to build new homes. 
So what a governor could do is tell the trade unions, we're not going to do this. And why do you think the governor doesn't do that today? Because of the money exchange between big unions and, and the government and the governor and the governor. And a box of Snickers to you, minus one, because I like them if I had it. So, Mike, here's the thing. I, I don't disagree with you on a lot of these things. I, I, I fully would support the idea of investing in more of the infrastructure in the state of California. But then again, let's as I'm looking at beyond the recall election, and maybe I shouldn't be looking beyond it, but let's just say I am looking beyond it. Let's say it does pass. Well, the, your leading candidate looking to uh, supersede or replace Newsom would be Larry Elder. I don't hear Larry Elder talking about improving infrastructure as he is talking about more taking on big unions and taking on the homeless crisis. I don't hear talk of any kind of infrastructure, which, again, I, I fully would support. OK, let me explain. First off, as a as a PAC member, I can't talk about any candidate. Well, I, I was trying to get you and Orrin to both say something. Look at you. Right. You're, you guys are too proper. Yes. But personally, I would tell you that I would think a candidate with more legislative experience would be important. But let's take a step back. The reason we don't solve the homeless crisis is because it's too expensive to house the homeless because of the unions. Okay. The reason we don't solve a lot which, of these which unions, which unions out of curiosity are we, are we talking about here? We're talking about when the trade unions, we look housing supply and demand. Let's cut through the, all the complicated stuff here. And by the way, candidates talking points, and I'm going deep on your show. When I get on most radio and TV, all right, I can't sit there and talk about economic factors because people go, oh, that netter, I think he's on drugs again. I have no idea what the hell. But if I talk about homeless, they're like, ah, Texas drive, they're like, ah. Like, right? I, I only exist in a world that views that, that views everything through the lens of Classical economics, libertarian mindset, trading, so, time value of money. That's all I think about. That's how I – so I love, talk, I love this conversation. Let's talk about that, okay? If we, we have, let's say, a million people living in the center of L.A. There's 7 million people, okay? There's X amount of homeless that need help. Call it 35% out of the 170,000. Can't help them, all right? So what our our brainchild is, is we're going to manipulate the economy, break Adam Smith's law of supply and demand, because we're going to build this special housing and we're going to spend eight hundred thousand dollars a unit to build this housing in the center of L.A. that we could build for five hundred because so many special interest groups are involved. Here's how supply and demand really works. If we would allow without the trade unions, and there's a project right now that's been trying to get proved outside of LA for 15,500 homes that would actually house about 45,000 people, but we can't get approved. What does that have to do with homeless? A lot. Because imagine a person living in downtown LA in an apartment, and they said, man, I really like to own a house. And by the way, I can remote work or whatever I do. There aren't a lot of men manufacturing jobs right now they leave their apartment which they're paying 2500 a month for and move to a better home and more of these people do it that creates what we call vacancies vacancies creates more supply when there's more supply right the price goes down 
That's rocket, not rocket science economics. So you want to solve the homeless crisis, that apartment wouldn't be $2,500 a month to be like 900 bucks a month. And back to the problem is we have too many people and too little homes. Well, so I, I actually would just stop you at the first point. And this is kind of what makes me sometimes a bit allergic to a lot of other folks out there. I would just stop you at the point we have too many people. I think that's this is always going to be one of the problems of California. There's just we have too many people. And because we have too many people, there's too many problems to solve. I mean, if you look at places like, I don't know, Iowa or Idaho, they don't have the same kind of problems that we have when it comes to housing. And it's one of those reasons, at least, is the fact that they just don't have that many people. Okay, let me explain something, though. You, you, understand, you understand too. I, I do understand what you're saying, but then let's let me let me stop you one second before time runs out. Okay, so here's the problem: we can, we certainly can have too many people. I don't know what you do with them. You can't forcibly redistribute people. That's not going to work well. But we don't necessarily have too many people. And the liberal newspapers like to say, well, California's growth rate, it's only, you know, it's slowed down, but we have still have a growth rate of who gives a, who gives a rodent's posterior to be polite. And you could figure out what that stands for. All right. It's okay Here's, for you to cuss on my show, sir. It's I understand it's okay. that, but I'm being polite. Okay. <laughs> it's okay for you. It's okay if I get the aggro mic at like for two seconds and then you could go back to polite mic. So, so but, but please. Okay, so a rat's ass, here's the problem. From our last census of about 220 million, the population of the United States grew to about 360 million. Fair enough? Yep. Our, our growth rate is way less than the world's growth rate. And I'll throw a couple of figures out of you in a second here. All right, but in perspective for us old folks. All right. So our growth rate. It's not that we, you know, the papers want to say, well, California, not that many people are moving out. For starters, our growth rate is way below the national growth rate. You can cut the crap. That's the real growth rate. Now, it doesn't matter if there's too many people because we have a world population problem. Let me put this in perspective for you. When the first man landed on the moon and I was about I was 12 years old, 1969, I believe. Yes, 1969. There were 3.6 billion people in the world. And many people go, I remember that. And you remember the date. Today, there's over 8 billion. Let that sink in for a second. The population of the planet has grown. And, and by the way, it, that is what it is. The population of the United States, not that there's too many people in California. The reality is, California has too many rules regulating the people. There's an oh, if you like economics, there's an old economic article called Blocks of Wood. You should look it up. It's written by an economist who basically the crux of it is this. The reason taxation plans don't work and government plans don't work when they try to regulate things because people aren't blocks of wood. They don't keep the same constant. Well, we're going to change the tax on the wealthy. So it's X great. They're going to get their income another freaking way, right? We're going to um, change the capital gains tax. People are going to call it something different. We're going to make a road tax for people that drive X amount of miles. They'll drive less miles. All right. People will react to economic factors in your economics. They're not blocks of wood. 
So the reality is back to Adam Smith, which I believe was 1768 or some more stuff, right? Horse crap since I could cuss in your show. I don't, me, I don't remember the exact year. That sounds about Doesn't right. Matter. Again, Poncho Pop opinion. I wasn't alive then. Adam Smith basically said, let the free hand of the economy do things. Now, that, that is a difference. I think it was the invisible hand, not the free hand. The invisible hand. I call it the free hand, but the invisible hand, fair enough. All right. That is the difference. That is the crux of the difference between extreme socialism and extreme capitalism. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. And by the way, it sounds, you study economics? Yeah, I well, I, I, I was an econ major in college, but I would say that uh, probably for the last six, seven years, my acceleration of economic theory and understanding has greatly accelerated by reading classical economics. And then I've even read like Keynesian economics just to get what you understand that perspective. The Keynesian economics, Deborah Ray. Now, here's back to as we come toward the end of the hour here. Okay. We explained a lot of factors that are hurting small businesses. Okay. We explained a lot of factors and we can go back and forth as to degrees of those factors. And the problem is today, when we talk political polarization, look, no one believes in no taxes. No one believes in 100% taxes. A couple of extreme factions do. The reality is taxes, as you know, are about redistribution of wealth. That's all the taxes really are for us. I mean, take it here. And the, the older people want to keep their stuff and the younger people want the older people's stuff until they get stuff. It's all somewhere in the middle. Most of us lie in that 80% by definition curve we call the middle class. But the reality is, is that politics today doesn't practice the basic definition of economics. And that's how we got the recall done at recallgavin2020.com because we were too stupid not to do it any other way. And that's what's going to change politics. And I'm going to throw it back to you and put you on the spot. What is the basic definition of economics? The basic definition of economics is a, a it, it, it's a concept, it's a system in which you have products and services that's are priced according to the market, and you have a whole bunch of supply chains and distribution chain, chains, and you have consumer goods, and you have consumer prices, and you have supply and demand. Let me let me let me. It was a very simple. No, but here's a simple definition that was given to me. Economics is satisfying unlimited wants and needs with limited resources. That's really economics. At the end of the day, everybody wants everything. Look, I'd like to have six Ferraris. I don't have one. Maybe for, but, but we don't have the resources to do it. So the problem with politics today is they say you must have all these resources and you're not going to win or change anything. So economics today, that basic principle if so, we didn't have unlimited resources. If somebody had plopped ten million dollars down to us, we would have gotten two million signatures. No one did. We gradually scraped up nine hundred and ten. 
we accomplish the same goal. So most people don't go into politics to have these discussions because the, door, the, the barrier to entry is this huge thing because we've created this myth that it's very expensive. So the problem with housing is we have unlimited wants and needs. We're always going to make more people, brother. You can't stop it. Good luck with that. They've been trying long before even I was born. It's like, well, we, you know, Adam and Eve, it's like, how'd that work out? Well, not too well. So we can take it from there. Okay. We continue to multiply. Okay. So I have one last question then for you. Okay. And this is, this is probably one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you. And I'm hoping that you can provide me some greater insight onto how someone like myself, as well as other people that may not be able to articulate it as hopefully as well as I will right now, but I certainly know that this is how they think about things. So if I look at what has, has been achieved, what has gone on in my lifetime, I see that back in the eight, late 80s, there was the savings and loans crisis. I see that in the early 2000s, there was the dot-com bubble. I see that in, the, in 2008, there was the financial crisis. I see that in 2020, there was the pandemic. All throughout these big financial events and social events at that, the size of government has increased exponentially because we do vote on bonds to improve schools, to improve water and electricity, all this stuff. We never get to pay off that bond. That bond then all of a sudden gets absorbed by the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve just just distributes that money back out. Taxpayers are on the hook. We end up mortgaging our future. What's wrong with that? Or what What's wrong with that is when you use the term federal government, you're looking at all those treasury bonds. Okay. Well, we're talking about first off two things here, right? When we talk bonds, bonds ought to be, there's a different way to do bonds and we don't have time for a bonds lesson here. Okay. But there's different, the government today, in California could take this alleged $72 billion cash flow surplus, I'm gonna call it, and take 4 billion of it and improve our water system. They could then issue bonds to get another 8 billion, 50-50. We don't even spend most of the local bonds we have before we're issuing the next bonds. So put that right, down. Right, Either right. way, treasury bonds are different in the government than bonds that actually go into infrastructure, two different things, way deeper than the few minutes we have left. Here's the problem, exactly what you said. We don't learn from our past lessons. And by the way, we need to accept with peace and Zen-like in our heart, if you will, there will always be up and down cycles. The cycle, the ones that you mentioned, with the exception of COVID, which I believe we handed back, handled badly economically, Okay, because of big government, we need one big solution. No, the virus really doesn't give a rat's ass, okay, what our BS is. We didn't look at the economics of it, we paneled on the medical side. When you mentioned the savings and loans crisis, when you mentioned everything else, these are man-made crises because government didn't do its job. The government didn't regulate the savings and loans. The government in 2007 didn't regulate the mortgage companies. This is the problem we have in California. When I talked about the begin with, government must do its basic job of putting up infrastructure and regulating the 101. Stop going down these esoteric things because you think they'll buy you votes. 
That's the problem. You basically stated the problem. In other words, what is more important, regulating the economy of my state so inflation doesn't run away, so my roads work, electricity work, or deciding that boys and girls, women clothing shouldn't be separated in a department store. The trouble is we've gone to many issues that maybe belong on the list, but we've left off the basic issues of the list. We've left off the issues of basic economics, and that's why I gave you that simplistic definition to it. We must make sure at all times, I used to play a lot of baseball, right? And every spring they bring you back and it's like, you got to do the basics, right? I know how to bunt. I know how to advance a runner. Go back to the basics. Any great economic theory that you studied is based on some basic principles. I study physics and quantum physics. They're based on basic principles and people write a lot of crap around it, right? Einstein's theory of relativity, the special was seven pages long, brother. Euclid geometry is five basic laws, right? Newton bought 10 laws. We, but if you don't ever look at those basics in science, you never would be able to write around them. We don't look at the basics in our government. And that's what recallgavin2020.com is really about. Returning power to the people. We're a direct democracy republic that must be returned to the people. We must make sure that the individual does get taken care of, not the large special interests as we started the conversation. And that's the problem. Back to you. Well, Mike, I certainly appreciate this conversation. I think one of the things that has been um, you know, passed on, imparted to me based on a lot of the things that you're saying, and, and again, I, I, I would agree with this, and that is, I don't know how you can achieve it, but it is this back to basics. It is that baseball analogy. Let's get back to providing the services that are necessary by government to the people in which I, I, I think where you and I see eye to eye is that we do view things through an economic lens that the, that the quality of life amongst a lot of California citizens is an economic issue as opposed to a social issue. Not 100%, not 100%. But certainly there's a lot of issues that California faces that are primarily economic disguised as social. And so therefore the change in leadership is the start to making you know these changes happen to hopefully going back to this, you know, back to basics of, of the California business economy. So Mike, before I let you go here, what are the action items that listeners can take away on this recall Newsom campaign? What they need to do is this. We are going to win this election because the people of California, that 33% living on or near the edge of poverty, probably make up about 40, 50% of the vote. Those are the people that will come out and vote. Sorry, it's reversed from what you've been taught. It's the liberal people. Oh, I live, I live in a really big house surrounded by armed guards, but I'm against the second amendment and I want housing for all, all right? So what are you doing to do anything about it? For everybody out there listening, go to recallgavin2020.com. Get educated about the reasons and pick your own, be it education, be it infrastructure, be it law and order, be it whatever it may be, that you want to recall this governor and act on. And the way you're going to act on is make sure that regardless of party, religion, race, political affiliation, 
Because trust me, you're all going to get old. You're going to be my demographic one day. Whoa, whoa. Those, those are, see, now you get an aggro again. Those are fighting words, sir. Recall and replace. Make sure to vote yes and send the message to our government that we, the people, will not tolerate a government that cares about big interest versus microeconomics that has to do with the individual. Go out there, vote yes. The election is September 14th. The reality is on August 16th, those ballots get out. Go get them from your friends. Do what you gotta do. Vote yes, recall the governor of California and send a message we need to take in this theme, our economy back. I'm done. Mike Netter, 2022. Business class listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode of Whisker Weekly. As we end every episode, cheers, prostlheim, keepus nastravi, salut, kampai, mabruk, tutsins, gambe, yamas, nastrovie, vos, salute, and saudi to the customer experience. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Whisker Weekly. Whisker Weekly is part of the podcast channel, Not Your Father's Economy, exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Consider becoming a paid subscriber of Not Your Father's Economy, where you can receive bonus episodes, ad-free episodes that are intended to give you actionable insight to help you professionally and personally. Become a paid subscriber of Not Your Father's Podcast for just $8.49 a month or $94 for the year, and you can cancel anytime. Also, please consider giving Wisco Weekly a rating and review. It's much appreciated. Thanks for tuning in.